Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. For yogis, it is particularly important, I think, in this year to come, although it is always the case, but even more so to live in humility, to eliminate all traces of arrogance. And if there is still ego, then it is of extreme importance to accept God in one's heart as that ultimate transitional self-object that only through being absorbed in that supreme love will free one from the traces of the ego's resistance to love, to bliss, to freedom, even to wisdom. And so it's important that we go beyond taking other lower levels of transitional object, whether it's mantra or whether it's tantra or whether it's any other sort of sadhana or practice that keeps one identified with body, with mind, with ego. The sadhana has to be of such a purity that it recognizes the non-existence of the ego at the very beginning and the need for the surrender of any trace of that illusion to the supreme power, the supreme intelligence that is operating in a very secret way, a subtle way, to deliver the world from its suffering. But if we are not to increase our suffering along the way, if we want to be able to make the wisest decisions in the moment and to be attuned to the karmic nuances of a situation that may require a very rapid action of a sort that the ego may not find convenient, but that could save one from a lot of suffering, then one will have to have that attunement that requires the humbling of the ego in order to listen to the call of the will of God, inviting one to avoid suffering. But that avoidance may not look like an avoidance of suffering. It may look like it adds a burden to the enjoyments of the ego that does not want to know about the accuracies of Dharma. And so in this year, it is very important to recognize that Dharma is the key to avoiding bad karma. And it has always been that, a protection 
it is advisable to take as much of that protection as possible. The other thing is that the, the being at whatever level, ego, soul, or spirit, must have released every trace of fragility. We must not allow ourselves to be dented by events or by things said that might be insulting or slighting. We mustn't care. It's not that we need to have a thick skin, but we need to have no skin to be so totally transparent that it goes through us. And if it's not meant for us, if there is no ego, then it goes back to the sender. But that's not our concern. Our concern is the purity of love. But we will be in a time in this coming year, and it's of course already the case, where situations will not flow. But that doesn't mean that we should stop flowing and not take it as a sign to flee when there is no flow, but to recognize what within oneself has created that karma and to free oneself from whatever impurity has created a glitch that requires a deepening of one's understanding of one's relationship to reality. And to accept that the law of karma cannot be overcome or avoided, no matter how good a lawyer you have. And to accept with grace whatever that law decides for our fate. It can only be overcome through the transformation of the self that no longer carries the traces of that intentionality that was responsible for the karma. There's a story told about Shakyamuni Buddha. I've only seen it told by the Chan masters. I haven't seen this story told by the Theravadins or the Tibetans. So it's probably apocryphal, but who cares? It's useful. Well, Shakyamuni, of course, was a Muni of the Shakya tribe. And the Shakya tribe lived in Kapila, this beautiful area of India. But they were not uh, good stewards of their ecosystem. And the village was on a lake. But because of their greed, they overfished the lake. And they created a situation where the fish in that lake became extinct and the whole environment that had been very beautiful collapsed. The last fish was caught by a young boy who didn't kill the fish or sell it like the others did, 
but was putting it on its head and playing with it, and of course the fish was being tormented. Well, some adult came by, took the fish, killed it, or ate it, or whatever. But it was uh, a, an act of ecological malpractice by this clan that allowed this to happen. This was a generation before Buddha's time. And then in Buddha's time, uh, after Shakyamuni became enlightened, <coughs> became the Buddha, and had already started his movement, and he had left this area, a king came to power who was angry at the Shakya tribe, and he massacred them. Well, of course, the news of this event, which was an ongoing thing, it wasn't just one day, it was an ongoing attack, but the news came to Buddha, who was in satsang with the highest Buddhist sages, the greatest shamans, the most enlightened beings on the planet, and someone from his tribe, the Shakya tribe, came to him and said, Buddha, Buddha, help us. We're being killed. Our, your, your people are being killed in, in, uh, in your village. And uh, Buddha couldn't help them because he was in bed with the worst headache he ever had. I mean, this was the ultimate migraine. <laughs> And so Buddha was totally unable to do anything for them. Well, they went to the next guy, the second in command, and they said, can you help us? Okay, Madgalyayana, for those who want to know the details of his name. But he was a great magician, and he was able to create a huge, subtle bowl and pick up the souls of these beings who were being attacked 500 of them to save them from uh, a pogrom, a massacre that was about to happen to them. Uh, but he couldn't hold it, and there was a power that caused it to fall again, and then they had to die. And so even he couldn't help them. Well, that was it. The massacre happened, and uh, eventually Buddha's headache went away and he came out again and uh, you know, faced his people and they were all very disappointed in their leader. You know, where were you, Buddha? What's, you know, we depended on you. And uh, Buddha said, well, okay, I got some bad news. Uh, the people who were massacred were ones who in the previous generation had killed all those fish. And the people who massacred them were the reincarnations of those fish. And this karmic law could not be undone. And Buddha himself, in his previous life, he realized, was the kid who was playing with the fish on his head and he had a horrible headache. <laughs> and he felt lucky that that's all he had to face. Uh, but he said, not even a Buddha can overcome the law of karma. 
Well, in this time of mega-ecological malpractice, I think we can understand what the karma of the human species is that is also unavoidable. And we must understand that justice must be done as well. But there is also mercy. And so hopefully we can escape with a mild headache and if we are able to undo the bad karma and its roots in the ego's greed and lust for profit and for the phenomenal profane profits rather than the divine goodness, we will be able to earn the right to another age of beauty and love and God's grace and mercy and fullness of all of the cornucopia of gifts that God loves to provide. But we are at a very serious moment of karmic blowback and we must be able to accept this and deal with it with solemnity and with the wisdom of learning the appropriate lessons and applying them to oneself and to one's community and to one's way of living and to one's generosity of spirit in the devotion and dedication of one's life to that purification that alone can provide healing for oneself and for all beings on the planet. So you spoke about animals. I guess that's a good animal story. There's another animal story that is an interesting one that happened at Sri Ramanashramam. And before the ashram existed, in the early days of Ramana's charitra, when he was still called Brahmana Swami, uh, he was fed by an old woman named uh, Kirapati. It, it actually translates as Granny Greenleaves. <laughs> she was a sweet old lady. And uh, she treated him in a very motherly way and made sure that he was always fed and you know, brought, brought cooked food to him at his, uh, his cave, Virupaksha cave. And uh, she died. Uh, a few years later, and Ramana made sure she was buried across from the local temple, and he visited the grave. And <coughs> a year or so later, uh, actually it was several years later, when the ashram was already uh, in place, a, uh, they began to have a dairy, they had cows, and a calf was born that was particularly friendly, that had an immediate attachment to Ramana. 
And he gave this little calf drishti for a long time. And suddenly Ramana was, began to cry. And he said, this is Kirapati. She's back. She came back as a cow. And he named the cow Lakshmi. And that cow attained liberation. Very few humans did, but that cow got liberated. Well, ordinarily, I wouldn't believe a story like that. But in this case, uh, knowing what I know about Lakshmi and about Ramana and about the whole story, uh, I tend to think it's a true one. So don't limit your recognition of the presence of God only to the humans but also not only to the animals, as some will do, uh, but to all beings. And to recognize our responsibility to the well-being of all beings. And that has to be balanced with the realization that there are no other beings. This is one of those things, again, that the Buddha uh, was very interested in teaching because on the one hand, he taught that everyone should be completely compassionate, that they should become bodhisattvas, which means you don't uh, leave for nirvana until you make sure that there is no suffering sentient being left, you know. You're the last one out and you turn out the lights, but you make sure everyone else is saved before you let yourself be saved, you see. But then Buddha also taught, but anyone who still believes that there are any other beings is not yet even a bodhisattva. So the bodhisattva must be the Buddha who recognizes that the saving of all sentient beings comes through the recognition that there are no sentient beings to save. There is only the Buddha mind, the Buddha nature, that is already beyond any need for saving. So don't fall into sentimentality. Don't fall into the imaginary level of wanting to help because you can't help from that level. It's always a rescue fantasy that ends with your becoming the victor uh, of the, the, the victim, and the, vict and the one who had been the victim will become the persecutor. You don't want to go through that routine. So there must be detachment and dispassion as well as compassion. And it's a very thin line, but one's wisdom and discernment will enable one to be free of that kind of imaginary sentimentality that actually does more harm than good because it does not recognize the law of karma and how that must be carried through as a way of purification that cannot always be achieved in the inner planes and must also be enacted as part of this cosmic drama. And therefore, in order to live in a way that is accurate, we must be as free as possible from our own opinions. We mustn't believe in our own beliefs. 
We must be free of those kind of preferences, even at a moral and ethical level, but allow God's will to play itself out and to be as much as possible an egoless instrument of that, but without playing God. We are in the role of serving God, never taking the role of being that one. And that humility, that duality must always be kept. The fallibility of the phenomenal self's way of receiving, understanding, and transmitting whatever knowledge or call or energy. And to be as true to the source and as free of any obstructive interference patterns of one's own desires or fears or belief system as possible so that the purity of that supreme energy can move through without any uh, creation of further karma. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.